for kids wanting to serve the Lord and be a part and preacher of the Holy Ghost definitely helped you out on that one, amen. Helped you remember that. Of all the operatories, that was the important one to remember, I guarantee it. Uh, it's great to be back with you. I've enjoyed the last couple nights and, and uh, looking forward to what God has for us tonight. And I do want to say just a couple things. I've not said a lot about Operation Go International. I am president of Operation Go International and, and uh, don't want to take advantage of, of the position the Lord's led us be in to preach the meeting, but I do ask you to pray for us. We've got a lot going on, a lot of projects taking place, and uh, I was here last year in the missions conference, and I told you that we had dedicated ground uh, for our center, and we've actually built that in Kenya. We've got a strategy for the next two and a half years. Let me just tell you a little bit of what God's doing in Kenya. I'm going to show you just a couple pictures, but uh, not just Kenya, but it's kind of the model of what we want to do in all of Africa. There's about 1.5 billion people in Africa. We're using India, where our ministry is in phase four of India. We've got an office in all 36 states. We've got a director in all 36 states, an Indian director, and, uh, and, and trainers in each and every one of them. And we started a new phase in India. We've got a training center in India, and we're trying to duplicate in Africa now what we were able to accomplish in India, but we're trying to do it a lot faster with the help of the Lord. But you've got a population of about 1.5 billion people on the continent of Africa. And so we have um, I've got a leadership team, and our African director, Brother Peter Chege, is a great guy, and he and I work closely together. And in the last five years, it's just amazing. That's about how long from the beginning, from start, very beginning, the first time Brother Wood went over to, to now. We've trained several thousand national pastors, and we've seen countless thousands of people, and I'm being very uh, modest in the number, come to know Christ Hundreds of churches planted uh, through Operation Go in the last five years. We've built that ministry center. We've got a strong leadership team, uh, including pastors from five others of the East African countries and that's been trained. And we have divided uh, the continent of Africa into five other regions besides East, Af East Africa. And we each one containing several countries, many of those populations, hundreds of millions of people. And our goal is to be able to get into each one of those regions and then through those regions be able to impact each of the 54 countries in Africa. And so there's a lot I could say about that, but we started in Kenya. That's our base. And uh, really we started holding director's institutes there for the past four years. And uh, again, over 2,000 African pastors have been trained in, in that area. And I want you, if you will, pull up those pictures for me. And in Kenya right now, this is just typical road in the village that we've put our ministry center. Um, we've got, it's a very poor village. It's about 1,700 people, about 500 families. I think I told you our ministry put a well. And uh, as of when we were there in February, one and a half million liters of water had been given uh, free. We don't charge anything for that well. And if you'll go to the next picture... Uh, this is just a typical village. This is actually not the village our ministry center is in, but just one of the villages that we actually planted a church in Navasha. If you go to the next one, this is back in the village. This is some of the orphans. Our ministry takes care of 160, and it's growing, orphans. Um, we will be over 200, Brother Peter told me, by the end of this month, if not next month. And I'll explain why in just a moment. But this is some of the smaller ones. We clothe them, feed them, shelter them, educate them, provide everything for them. 
You say, I thought your ministry was soul winning and church planning. It is, but you cannot be in this kind of country and not be a help when people are starving and kids have nowhere to go. Uh, if it doesn't pull on your heart, I don't know what will. And, and just some precious kids. And um, Brother Peter, and forgive me if I get emotional, but Brother Peter reached out to me today. And we were there in, my wife and I was there in February to dedicate. If you'll go to the next building, uh, this is our training center that we built. It's completely built. First floor is done. And uh, if you'll go to the next picture, it should show a little bit close up. Beautiful building that the Lord let us build there in the village. And if I was to just, if you were to stand on top of that roof, because it's made to where we can build on top, the most expensive floor was the first floor. We built that building for about $140,000, uh, uh, which is cheap when you see what that building is compared to what we would have paid. We'd have paid a million dollars to build that over here. And, uh, but we can go up two more floors the way we built it. We can build another floor for about 90000 and we need two more floors before we're done. But in this building, we started a church. Faith Baptist Church is there. We started with about five people, and we run about 300 on Sunday morning. A pastor trained in Operation Go is there. All them 300 people have been won and saved in that village right there. Uh, that training center, uh, God is using mightily. We feed there. And, um, and, and, and then the, the orphanage, the main office is run from here. Now, we do our orphanage a little bit different. We don't house all of the orphans right here. We educate them. They come here for meals, some meals. But what we've done, uh, and I don't know of anyone else that does it this way, but I love the way we do it. Uh, you just stick 160 kids in a building and, and put them together. There's, there's no semblance of family. There's really no love. So what we've done in that village is to incentivize people in this very poor village. Uh, before we put the well on this property, they were going four and five hours carrying it on their shoulders, their heads, or little donkeys to bring water in. Very poor village, and this is a very nice building for them, and we wanted it nice on purpose to draw them. And, uh, but our orphanage, the way we do is we've got a great couple, an older gentleman and his wife that run the orphanage for us, and they interview families in the village and if that family agrees to adopt, not legally, but just foster almost one or two orphans, then we will provide a rain tank for their house. Now, you understand these people do not have the money for a rain tank in this village. A rain tank, water, we take for granted water in Africa and in Kenya. It's one of the most precious commodities they've got. And it's, it's a dire need a lot of times. So by giving them a rain tank, we have already helped the whole family, plus We've incentivized them. Then also a couple times a year, we pay for them to get a goat, a sheep, some, a, a cow, some chickens to where they have meat to be able to feed the orphan. And we provide bags of rice and beans and vegetables that we provide for those families that feeds that orphan and their family. We can do that relatively cheap, but by doing that, all of our 160 orphans right now are in homes, villages, Within, uh, within, this, within homes within this one village here. And what that does is it allows them to have a father, a mother, if they have other children, but it also allows us to help other families in that village. We've been able to win many people to Christ through that. So I ask you to pray. But this building here, we right now, I just got message before church tonight that Brother Peter texted me and said when we were there, they were in their dry season, but it's been a longer than normal drought and dry season, and they're in a great famine. And they wasn't able to plant this last growing season, 
Usually it takes about two months for them to be able to harvest. They were not able to plant, therefore they have no crops. People are hungry. They're in a great famine. And he texted me earlier today and said, I need not, our, our African representative lives here in Virginia and he uh, lives in Virginia and he's heard from, from a lot of our national pastors and he said, just please pray. He said, there, we've got many of our kids that I showed you are sick and, um, and we had a teenage girl in the, in the orphanage and in the, in the church die from hunger. Uh, she was afraid to tell them how hungry she was and apparently she died from hunger. I, I don't know about you, but that tears me up when I know that I ate enough to feed 15 people today. And so I ask you to pray. I, I could repeat this story over and over and over now. Uh, Brother Peter of his own has started with his own funds, and you'd have to know Brother Che Gay. Uh, he has started feeding, and, and they're very industrious. And so we've been feeding for the last week that village. Anyone that doesn't have food, a child, after that teenage girl died, Peter said, we can't do this no more. And so we've been offering two meals a day through our training center for anyone that wants it, starting with kids. And if it runs out, then the adults have to kind of fend for themselves. But we're trying to make sure we at least keep the kids fed. We're feeding two meals a day. Several hundred people a day are coming begging for food. We can do that for about $70 a day. And we're feeding and we're paying a cook about $60 a week full time to do nothing but run and make sure meals are fed, not only for the extra food, but for the orphans as well. So I ask you to pray about that. Uh, Brother Peter said, Brother Brian, is there anything that, that we can do to help? Uh, we got about two months that we need to help sustain this village. We may not be able to help all of Kenya, but we can help this village. And so I ask you to pray. I'm looking at probably $2,300 each month for the next two months, and we can, we can feed and pay the cook and make sure that food is distributed in that village. And I ask you to pray about that. Now you say, what's that got to do with soul winning? Well, it has a lot to do with it. I asked Brother Peter, and I knew the answer before I asked him. I said, Brother Peter, uh, what are we doing uh, as far as getting the gospel to everyone that we are feeding? And he immediately messaged me back and said, Brother Brian, we are giving the gospel every time they have a meal. They're having to listen to a message and he said, in the last two months, we've had over 46 saved through just giving, through giving meals. And then in the last week, a lot of those has come in the last two weeks since we've been feeding them. So I just ask you to pray. This story could be repeated. Our brother talked about Taiwan. It could be repeated in Taiwan. I will be in the Philippines. I mentioned in June with Brother Doug Sisson in Mindanao preaching a revival for him. And then back in Manila training our uh, new director for the Philippines and other things. So I ask you to pray for us that the Lord will work, and then I'll be in Kenya in um, August. I'll be in Kenya in August, and I will be right there at our training center doing some training. I'll be in a village that's never had any training, never had a white man. I was the first white man to preach there to the uh, Mesamara tribe, and uh, not Mesamara, but the Messiah tribe, and uh, I'll be training them. And, uh, and I've, we were planning, we've planted some churches there and we've got about $5,000 more to raise to cover uh, leasing land and being able to build a building. We can do that for about $5,000 and we've got, we've got that left. So I just ask you to pray. I could repeat the needs in India. I could talk about Latin America, uh, but just that was on my heart tonight. And I just want to say to the children, sometimes we criticize our country. Be thankful for the place you live. God has blessed us. In spite of its faults and its failures, we are blessed to live in the country we live in. 
and we're, we're, we're blessed to have what we have. And on a bad day for us, it would be a good day for most of the people I deal with in these other countries. So uh, I just thank God for His goodness and I ask you to pray. And just pray the Lord will give us wisdom. I'm, I'm going to figure out some way to try to get the money for the next couple months. And I'm not asking you to do anything. You've got missionaries every night. But you can pray. And, and God knows how to raise that. And uh, on top of everything else that we're doing, our budget's about $1.4 million a year. That, that, that's not money that goes to me. That's money that goes all over the world to do what we do. And uh, I thought I would have Brother Wood for a couple more years to help teach me how to raise money. I am not a money raiser. And I don't know why God put me in this ministry because you've got to be able to raise money. But you know what I know better? If I'll just trust God and follow God, He'll make sure the money comes in. Amen. And that's kind of what I've done is just leave it to Him. Uh, but Mark chapter number 12 tonight. And uh, I, I just I appreciate this church. When I was here before, I showed you just some slides of Kenya and what God was doing. And I wanted to show you the finished product of that training center and how the Lord's using it. And uh, just a lot of those orphans have trusted Christ. Many of them want to be in full-time ministry. We're training them to be able to go out when they get older, the older teenage boys, to plant churches, those that feel called to the ministry. And um, we do not push that. I, I wouldn't argue with anyone, but I do believe that if you're going to be a preacher of the Word of God, you need to be called. Amen? You need to have a call on your life. This is not a career for me. This is not a job choice. I could not do anything but what I'm doing because this is what God called me to do. Amen? And I believe that, and so we don't push that if that's not God's will. But many of our younger men and boys believe that's God's will for their life, and we are helping them grow and, and mature in that. And so we've got a generation coming up in Africa, and Lord willing, I've got to make another trip to Africa before the end of the year. When I go in August, I'll be meeting with the governor of Kenya, the equivalent to the governor and uh, that building we have no power to. We have solar panels for our well. We have solar panels for our water heater on that building. There's no power. Uh, to put power, to get power from where it is into that building would be over $160,000. We don't have that. Uh, the road system is horrible, and that training center will eventually bring preachers from all over Africa, and we'll train them there because it's a lot cheaper to do it that way. Uh, but uh, we need a better road system. I met the lieutenant governor, a senator, and a equivalent to a senator and a house of representatives uh, and a district commissioner while I was there in February. The lieutenant governor was so impressed with what we had done and me being able to talk with him, we presented him a very nice Bible, which he had never had a Bible uh, personally. And, and uh, the senator uh, has been led to the Lord by Brother Peter Chegay and trust Christ. And, and anyway, long and short, they said if I would come in August, they would, give, they would get me an audience with the governor and with the Congress, what, what's equivalent to their government body. And I said, if I do that, will you allow me to present the gospel to all of them? And they said, absolutely. So in August, I will be presenting the gospel and presenting the needs. The governor has the authority to say, put the power into, there, into that village so we can connect that building and to make the road system better. I've got assurances if I will come in August... And, that, uh, and, and be there that they and meet with him. And if we're willing to help another village with a whale, which would be about $10,000, they're willing in return to help us with a road system and power at no charge to our ministry. That's about a $240,000 gift from the government. So I ask you to pray about that and that the Lord would work there. Uh, Matthew chapter number 12 tonight. I've enjoyed preaching. Thank you for your listening ear. 
And I hope, more importantly, that I've been a help. And, uh, you know, I uh, just want to give you my heart tonight. And I know we, uh, there's a lot of things about missions. I love preaching missions. I love dealing with, and I will before the end of the week, grace giving, faith promise giving, whatever you want to call it. Just being of a mind and a heart to see the need to give to whether it's the church, whether to a missionary, whether whatever it is, uh, Dr. Robertson made the statement years and years ago that Christianity that pleases God requires three things. He said it requires great serving, and I believe that. If you're going to be a great Christian that pleases God, then you've got to be a servant. God measures our Christianity on what kind of servant we are. People say, well, I want to be like Jesus, but then they want to be served instead of serve. To be like Jesus is to be a servant, amen? By the way, I believe preachers, pastors, spiritual leadership is not lording over people, it is serving people. My good friend, Brother Wilkerson, makes a statement, I heard him make it years ago and it stuck with me, a shepherd ought to smell like sheep. A man of God ought to be around his people and serving his people. And you've got such a great pastor that exhibits that. And I'm so thankful for the example that he sets. Bobby Robertson, I had the privilege of knowing him. And Brother Bobby was one of the guys that I mentored pastoring after. Because no matter how big the church got, Brother Bobby refused not to try to touch his members personally. And that meant something to me as a young preacher watching that and watching Brother Bobby as his church would, uh, on a Sunday morning would run 3,000 people and 2,000 of that was from their bus ministry. And, and, but always, every week of his life, he had his secretary fill out the card. Any member or immediate family member of a member of his church that was in the hospital having surgery, a deacon didn't go see him, an assistant pastor didn't go see him, he went and saw him. Now, I'm not saying that's what everyone has to do, but I, I took something from that, that no matter how important he got or how big he got, his sheep was the most important thing in his life. And he served them, and I watched that. Uh, I'm saying that to be a great Christian that's going to please God requires great serving. And then I would say uh, Lee Robertson said it requires great witnessing, and I agree with that. You're not going to please God if you're not being a witness. What kind of witness do you have? What kind of testimony do you have of the Lord Jesus? And then what I want to preach on tonight just a little bit is, is, is he said that it requires great giving. Being a great Christian. Now giving not just in money obviously, but obviously that's the thing that stands out. And we could talk about a lot of things with missions, but at the end of the day, without money, the gospel is free. But the piping cost. Amen? And uh, uh, money does not make the world go round, but it does help those go around the world that have it. Amen? And so Lee Robertson said it required great giving. And I remember him making those three statements years and years ago. And tonight in Mark chapter 12, we have an example. And I want to preach on this thought for just a few minutes on being a great giver. I don't know about you, but I want to be a great giver. Look in verse number 41 of Mark chapter 12. Jesus said over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow and she threw in two mites. That was about 50 cents of our, in our day. 
which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. I want to preach on that thought, being a, a great giver. Father, I love you tonight. Help me to preach. Just help me to give the burden of my heart. Touch your people. Thank you for this church. Thank you for its pastor and his wife and his children and God, just the fellowship. I love being around uh, the pastor and just the Bible and being able to talk the things of God. And Lord, thank you for his love and his desire. Thank you for this church and their testimony through this state of being a missions-minded church. God, it's almost intimidating sometimes to come to a church like this and preach on missions because you know they know it, but at the same time, God, sometimes we just need to be reminded or if not reminded, encouraged. So help me, Lord. Give me wisdom and guidance tonight and all week as we preach and use me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you this question. How would you rate your giving? If you don't say anything out loud, please, but from a scale of 1 to 10 in your mind, how would you rate your giving? And we looked at last night, and I won't spend a lot of time or belabor the point, but if you are a child of God, everything you have belongs to God. Now, I know we know that, but sometimes knowing it and living that way is two different things, is it not? Everything we have is His. I wonder tonight if you could say for God's glory, you are a great giver with the resources that the Lord has trusted you with. For a few minutes, I just want us to examine ourselves and ask, how great a giver are we? We don't give our money to God because He needs it. Amen? We uh, God doesn't need anything. He is self-sustaining and all-powerful, and we know all that. We Really, giving is more about us, by the way. And I'll, you'll probably hear me say this again, but, but, but God's shovel is, or God's spoon is bigger than your shovel. You'll never outgive God, amen? I'm reminded of the fellow that Walked in his house one day and Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite authors, uh, tell, told the story in several of his, of his books of a farmer who went into the house one day and to tell his wife and family some good news. And he said, the cow just gave birth to twin calves. One's red, one's white. So he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dedicate one of the calves to the Lord. We'll bring them up together, and when the time comes, we'll sell one and keep the profits for our family, and we'll sell the other and give the proceed to the Lord's work. His wife said, well, which one are you going to dedicate to the Lord, the red or the white? He said, I, I don't have to figure that out right now. No need to bother about that. We'll treat them both the same way, and we'll figure that out when the time's come. When the time comes, we'll, we'll do as I say. And so uh, a few days later, the farmer come into the kitchen looking unhappy and his wife looks at him and says what happened he said well I've got some bad news she said what he said the Lord's calf died 
She said, wait, you, you said you didn't know which one was the Lord's. He said, yep, when I walked in and seen the white one dead, I determined that white one was the Lord's. Sometimes you and I are about the same way, are we not? How, what kind of giver are you this morning? Listen, we better be careful not to get the notion in our minds that, you know, sometimes we have this idea that I'd better be careful in my giving. Otherwise, you know, God's going to get it all. <laughs> he already has it all. Some people think I've got to protect my stash from God. How many here believe God could take your stash in an instant if he so chose? God gives to us so we can give to him. We're no different than, you remember when if you've had children or grandchildren and they're too little to work or have any money of their own and the offering's fixing to happen, what's many parents and grandparents do and the kids says, hey, I want to give. They don't have anything, but they have no problem taking your money and giving it. Right? Well, we're no different. Everything we have, we're just like a little kid handing it out, getting it from God. And everything God gives us, I said, I believe last night, quit looking at it as, as what I have to give and look at it as what I get to keep because it all belongs to God. And so if I give 50% back, He's letting me keep 50%. It's all His. You know what I found? I found you can't outgive God. I found in this Bible, if I've read my Bible right, that even a lost man, if he'll tithe the law of tithing, God will still bless him. I think about Chick-fil-A. You ever seen an empty Chick-fil-A? And I know Christians and preachers that get mad that they're closed on Sunday. And I, when he opened it, if you've read his story, he told the Lord that if, if, if he would bless his business, I believe we started out said, I'll give 20% or whatever it was. I forget the exact percentage. But Mr. Truett, Kathy Truett said, I'll give, I'll give that and then I'll increase it as you bless me. And, and he started out not opening on Sunday. I've been to the very first one that was started down in Georgia. And, and I've read his story and, and everyone said, you'll be closed in a year. You'll never make it. You can't open a fast food place and not be open on Sunday it'll never work well it's worked and last time I read up till his death or his departing I forget uh, it was like 50% that everything come into Chick-fil-a was being distributed to churches Southern Baptist Church was still being distributed to missions and the churches all across the world you think God honored putting him first do you think it hurt Chick-fil-a and I use that illustration because sometimes we think, well, if I, if I give God more and more and more, I'm going to have less and less and less. I'm going to tell you, I learned a long time ago, the more you cannot outgive God. God said if you give a cup of water to a stranger, He's going to bless you. Amen? So everything we have belongs to Him. Now look at verse number 41. Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money. Do you realize God watches our giving? The whole reason he was sitting there was to watch their giving. It matters to God. You, you, do you realize, and you check me out on this, God says more about money and preaches more about money than he does heaven or hell? Anyone know the longest chapter in the, uh, the, longest chapter in the Bible, what, what it is? Psalm 119. 
Anyone know what the second longest chapter is in the Bible? Number seven. The longest chapter in the Bible, I've heard many preachers say, it's about the Word of God. It ought to be the longest chapter. Guess what the second longest chapter in the Bible is? It's number seven. You know what the whole chapter is about? Their offerings. Money. I'm saying tonight that as much as we don't like to preach on it, and it's amazing, people say, well, I don't want to go to that church. All they want to do is take your money. Well, apply that to the shopping mall. To Walmart. To the John Deere place or the Kubota place, whatever your preference is. I'm saying God is interested. It matters to Him. The amount of money she gave was not just insignificant. It was ridiculously insignificant compared to what others was giving. She gave just a, depending on who you read, some guys say 50 cents. Some say it's all the way as little as a penny and a half. I don't know, but I know it wasn't much. Have you ever given, or have I ever given so that Christ would watch? And do you notice what he did? He seen what was given, and verse 42, this woman comes in, and in verse 43, he called unto him disciples. In other words, he was so, if I can use this word, impressed of what she gave, he pulls his disciples over and says, I want you to look something. That's remarkable. That caught my attention. Great giving is never judged by the amount. It's judged by other factors with God. You, you may give more than anyone else in here and it not be considered great giving with God. Those that were giving a lot in our text in verse number 41, many that were rich cast in much. They were giving a lot. God never said, now that's something. Boy, look at that amount. Look at those hundreds of thousands that they put in there. No, no, no. But when that woman gave next to nothing, Christ called his disciples over to, to him and he said, she cast in the most. That's impressive to me. In America, we have so much. We can give more than others, can we not? But it don't mean it was great giving with God. I'm saying there's three things I want to say tonight very quickly. Number one, great giving is always with a compassionate heart. If you're going to be a great giver, it starts with the heart. Luke 10, 30, that Samaritan had compassion upon that man that was left on the road, wounded, half dead. Because of his compassion, he gave. Can I ask you tonight, when's the last time you gave based on how much you love God? I hope before the end of the week I can preach on that very thing. That's the very motivation of why we do what we do. It's not because we love Africa or we, you know, when I was a missionary years ago to Papua New Guinea and I was on deputation, I had never been to Papua New Guinea. I didn't know the Papua New Guinea people. But I, and people would say, boy, I bet you got a love for them. And I was honest, maybe too honest for my good. I'd say, no, I don't love them. I've never met them. How can I, how can I have a feeling and affections what people were talking about for someone I've never been around? They say, well, why are you going? Because God told me to. Now, after being a missionary there and after to ask me now if I love them, absolutely. Ask me if I have an affection for them, absolutely. But I'm saying we don't give because our feelings are up or down or many times we give based on emotions. Hey, listen, we ought to give simply because we love the Lord. 
Surely tonight we love the Lord more than what some may be giving. Great giving's never judged by the amount, but by the love that crafted the amount. And I believe a simple illustration to prove that. Uh, Brother Zawatsky could, uh, uh, could get uh, a, a nice rifle from one of you men, hint, 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 or a, a nice fishing bass boat from, from one of you guys, and he would be thankful and grateful. But if one of his boys or his girl took a couple months and made something by hand and put their own heart into it, and, and maybe it wouldn't be worth a nickel as far as selling it, I can promise you that little piece of paper that they drew the picture on or that little wood carving that they made for their dad is going to mean a whole lot more to him than a 35 thousand dollar bass boat you want to know why though both were given in love that child's love for him is going to mean something and I'm saying to you and I that the love behind the gift God measures God loveth a cheerful giver now he'll take it begrudgingly like the mother that wanted to teach her daughter a moral lesson and she gave the little girl a quarter and a dollar bill. And she said, these are for church. And she said, put whatever, what, which one you want in the collection plate. And you can keep the other for yourself. So when they were coming out of church, the mother asked the daughter which amount she gave. The daughter said, well, mom, I was going to give the dollar. But just before they started taking up the offering, the preacher said, we should all be cheerful givers. And I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I kept the dollar and gave the quarter. So that's what I did. (laughs) I'm saying to us tonight, great giving is not judged by the amount. Start being a great giver with that gift being based on your love for Christ. Our children, every Christmas, normally... We, Christmas morning, we read the Christmas story, we pray, we, before we ever open gifts or anything like that, we have a time of prayer with our children, we remind them the importance of what we're doing, we remind them why those gifts are even possible, and, and then uh, the last, normally we pass out the gifts and we, we got so many kids that we start with the youngest and let each of them open one gift and Leanne takes pictures and we do all that stuff and then it's just a free for all. I don't know how you do it in your house. But the last two years, the kids are getting older and they got a little money, not a lot, but so all of them work together and they buy us things. Now, my kids and my wife say I'm hard to buy for because I don't really want or need nothing, and that's about the truth. If I want it during the year or need it, I just go get it. I ain't waiting until December. If I need it in April, I'm getting it. I'm not waiting until my birthday. I'm going to, you know, and so... But they always try to find something. In the last two years, we, Christmas morning, we did, and all the kids, Mama, Mama, Daddy, can y'all open yours first instead of us? That means something, Brother Joe, to me. Those kids, they know good and well that there's nothing they're going to buy us that we couldn't buy ourselves. They know good and well that there's nothing they're going to be able to give us that we couldn't replace, but it's it's the love that's coming behind that gift that makes it all the more special that on Christmas morning, knowing they've got some good stuff, hopefully, they want mom and daddy to open their gifts first. We can be a great giver simply by the love that we put behind that gift. 
How, how is your motivation and your giving? What kind of heart? Do you have a compassionate heart in your giving tonight? Everybody here has been given something that people were handing out who had extra. Nothing wrong with that except there's not a lot of love or meaning in that. But when someone gives something with a loving hand and love determines the amount, it changes everything. When we get to heaven, the only thing we're going to be upset about in our giving is that we didn't give more. Not that we gave too much. You want to be a great giver, number one, have a compassionate heart. Number two, you need to have a cheerful heart. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8, the Bible talks, in fact, let me just read those verses very quickly. In 2 Corinthians 9, you know these verses well and used in missions conferences and preached, no doubt, uh, uh, many, many times. But in verse 6, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity for God loveth a cheerful giver. God loves. Do you understand that? God loves a cheerful giver. I wish you could sit on the platforms of some of the churches I've sat in when I pastored during an offering. Sometimes people look like they're in pain. <laughs> they look like their mother-in-law's moved in and she ain't leaving. Hey, the Bible said God loves. Hey, missions conference ought to not be a drudgery. It ought to be a blessing. Missions giving and giving in the offering. That's not the time to, 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 to that. Listen, God said I love a cheerful. When's the last time you gave it and you were overjoyed that you got to do it? It thrills me when I see my kids give something and they just gush with gratitude over the gift. Hey, listen, and it ought to thrill me the same amount to give to God. By the way, do you realize in the book of Acts, Jesus is quoted as saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive? Have you ever thought about who's saying that? If you've got a red letter Bible, it's in red because it's a quote from Christ. Think about that. It's more blessed to give, think about who's saying that, then receive. For God so loved the world that He... Now think about that a minute. Who do you think got the better deal in salvation? You or God. Who do you think got more blessed when you got saved? You or God. I was a nobody. I was a sinner. God didn't only save a sinner. He knew all the mistakes and failures I would make after I was saved. And according to that verse, God considered it, Brother Rich, more of a blessing to save me and to save you than we could even consider it ourselves. I'll never understand that one. God was so full of love. God says, you're nothing, you're sinners and your righteousness is filthy rags. But when I gave my son to you, it's more of a blessing to me than it is to you. What a statement. Talking about a cheerful heart. I'm saying, listen, uh, I see offerings and missions. Huh? Some people look like they're saying goodbye to a friend when they put something in the plate. Is giving a privilege to you or a pain to you? Is it cheerful or a chore? God loves a cheerful giver.
I was conducting, I was a funeral director in West Virginia at the little church that we worked as missionaries in years ago. And I was helping the, I wasn't doing the service, I wasn't preaching, but I was working the funeral uh, at the funeral home as a funeral director. And we had to go to the church and it was an all black church. I've never seen a, 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 a funeral conducted the way that church conducted the funeral that day. And uh, that preacher got up and he preached and they didn't get in a hurry. And about three hours later, we were finally done. And then the, the reverend said, look, y'all, he said, I had to drive how many ever hundreds of miles it was. And he said, I had hotel. And he said, we're going to take up an offering now. He said, you deacons, he wasn't the pastor of the church, but he was the one. He said, you deacons, grab the plate. Y'all come stand up front. And he said, we're going to sing a song, sis. You play that organ and you start singing. He said, I'm going to sing. He said, y'all come around and give. Sure enough, people come around and gave. He looked down in the plates when they got done. He said, y'all didn't give enough. He said, so we're going to take another off. And he said, it cost me more than that to come. I'm sitting back there in the back thinking, Wow. I said, wonder how that go over most of our churches. <laughs> so enough, he said, play again. He said, by the way, he said, this time when you come down, look like you happy about giving to me instead of sad. He must have got the second time because he didn't take it up the third time. And I'm just saying, listen, more than the preacher wanting you to be happy about it, God wants you to be happy about it. God if you want to be a great giver, then have a compassionate heart. But may I say, have a cheerful heart. This woman, from what I can tell, God does not say, so I want to be careful. But, but nowhere does it look like she's complaining or upset or bothered by what she's giving. And then number three, if you're going to be a great giver, you've got to have a controlled heart. Realize it was an act of your will that got you saved. God didn't force you into salvation. You made the choice, right? You can't do it for someone in salvation. They have to do it of their, their own will. But if you, and, and may I say in the same way in giving, if you give by faith, it's an act of the will. There's three kinds of givers. Probably a whole lot more, but you ever seen the polite giver? person says it's, you know, polite to give something. We've all done it. Neighborhood co kids come in to knock on the door. They're selling Girl Scout cookies or some coupon card. And just out of being nice and polite as a neighbor, you throw some money down and help them out. Now, if it's Girl Scout cookies, them Thin Mints are worth buying. But, you know, that's a whole other story. You know, you're just kind of polite. And, and unfortunately, there's many people treat God that way. Offering plate comes by and we, you know, we need to give something, so we throw a dollar or two in. Then there's the calculated giver. That's the person who says, I want to give, but I don't want to mess up my budget. <laughs> I don't want to mess anything up. And they calculate. And when you start calculated giving, the love disappears and the joy leaves. And then there's the faith giver. Without Hebrews said, without faith, it is impossible. Please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that's an interesting statement, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 
Do you realize God says that when we do something for Him, He expects us to have faith that He's going to do something for us? When I give, I ought to give out of love, but I also give knowing that I'm not going to outgive God and that if I'll just obey God and do what God says, God will take care of me and He'll take care of you. When's the last time you gave and it took faith? I was preaching last week a revival Sunday through Wednesday night at a church that I've preached multiple times, multiple years. There's a young couple that sets close to the front that love to hear me preach. Every time I'm there, I have the privilege of preaching revival in that church every year, plus one or two other Sundays he'll have me in. And, and, and I mentioned at the revival, I said, look, I'm not asking the church to do anything, just asking you to pray. I always give prayer requests. And I said, we got $5,000 we need to, 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 to get to Africa in, in August. I need $5,000 to get there and to cover part of that trip. I won't cover all of it. Then I said, I need $5,000 to finish planting the church in Navasha, a city of over 100,000 people, not one Baptist church. And we've trained a man. He's there. He's having a rent a facility right now in the village. And we can lease land for two years and buy, build a building for about 5000 I said, just pray about that. And I said that on Sunday morning, I didn't say nothing else about it other than just pray. Maybe I mentioned it one other night. I don't remember, but didn't, didn't really harp on it. Just said, would you just please pray about it? Wednesday night after the service... This young guy and, I, and this young couple, they, they, they live in a very small house. They don't have a whole lot. They've got a baby and, and another young child. And he met me at the front, Pastor, and he handed me an envelope. Before he did, he said, Brother Treadway, he said, I've been praying during the revival. And he said, God touched my heart. And he said, I wish I had $10,000, but I don't. But he said, God said I was to help you. And so I'm thinking, okay, he's going to give me $100, $200, which is great. I praise the Lord. He said, here's $5,000. It won't cover both of those needs, but it'll cover one. You could have dropped me on the floor because he, he, he didn't have it. That was an offering by faith. Now, as an, I was a pastor for many years. I don't want my sheep fleeced. So as an evangelist, being a former pastor, no one ever gives me any kind of large size offering that I don't immediately go to the pastor and clear it with him. That's, that's the shepherd, Amen. So I went straight to the man of God that evening. I said, hey, brother, I told him who it was. And I said, he said, man, that's great. Praise the Lord. He was thrilled, which I would have been as a pastor too, but I still let him know. And then he said, I don't know where that's coming from. He said, I don't even know where they got that. You know what I believe? I believe that young couple by faith gave that. And somewhere, Brother Rich, they're young Christians. They're growing. They're learning. I believe God's going to show them you can't outgive God. And I'm waiting for the text or the phone call from that young man to say, Brother Trey, well, you ain't going to believe what God did for me. You ain't going to believe what happened. A faith giver. When's the last time you gave it and it took faith? God says, you give, trust me, and I'll take care of you. How many of you think God took care of this lady after she gave everything? Give and it shall be given unto you. Giving by, don't ever Listen to me, and I'm, I'm closing. Don't ever resist a generous impulse. That will not be your flesh. That'll be God. And even if it's not God, God will honor your generosity. You can't go wrong by being a giver. You understand what I'm saying? 
God honors giving by faith. I know times are tight. The economy's bad. Things are not easy. I understand you're right. But there's one answer to tight times. Give your way out. God will always take care of those that are great givers. I heard two men, great men of God over the years, years gone by. Your pastor may have heard of them, Pastor Roy Thompson of the great Cleveland Baptist Church and Pastor Harold B. Seitler of the great Tabernacle Baptist Church. And both of those men have gone on to be with the Lord. But I heard both of those men as a young preacher say it many times over if, if when the church got in trouble and they didn't have money to pay the bills and they didn't know what was going on, they took on another missionary and they, they by faith trusted God and God always provided. Now I'm not telling you that's the model for everybody. I'm just telling you God honored more importantly probably the missions part of it, the faith part of it. I heard Harold B. Siler say that all the time. Every time they got in financial difficulty, they didn't have money for the orphanage or they didn't have money for the college. He'd say, we're going to take on another missionary. And he said, usually within the week or so, God would bring in others. Now again, I'm not saying that's the model. But I'm simply saying I believe that can be Bible. Give and it shall be given unto you. Is that not what God said? Great living is never judged by an amount. It's judged by a compassionate, cheerful, and controlled heart. I want to thank God for this widow that trusted God enough to put everything she had. So much so that she impressed Christ. Would your giving be considered great? Would Christ be impressed with what you're doing for Him? It don't matter if I'm impressed, if the pastor's impressed. It don't matter if we look at the amount and say, man, that's a... Would Jesus, and it's not based on the amount, based on what we looked at tonight. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I don't know.